Hey, what's up, everybody, man? Welcome back to the show. It's another week, means another show, means we got another guest. I am happy to have a very, very, very cool um, guest on today, man. She is um, a woman who I can honestly say has battled through tons and tons of issues, but has come out pretty much on top and is making a real name for herself um, as we go through this political um, unrest that we're having here and this you know this movement is um it's moving against police brutality and this movement against unfair treatment of people of color has been going on for so long but you know we're lucky to have people like this guest that i have today who are continuing the fight and this is a very um i guess you can say a very near and dear movement to her because she lost her brother um and something very when she was very young to an ill-advised killing of him by the police of the hometown that we all grew up in. And, um, you know, it's just very, very good to have her on the show, her telling her side, her story, and how it affected her, These, this, um, this thing that we've all gone through as someone of color. Um, it's just something that we've all been through. And it's very good to have her on the show talking about it, talking about her experiences growing up and how she went from one place to another and how she was able to move her life forward, although she had suffered a great loss in her life as a young woman. Um, it's just an amazing story. So with all that being said, I have Natasha Pinnell on my show today, and I hope that you guys really enjoy it. It's going to be a really deep and honest conversation about her life and just about how she was able to overcome such drastic, such a drastic situation in her life. So I hope you guys enjoy it, man. Thanks again for checking it out. And as always, um, I'll catch you guys next week. And thank you for checking it out. All right. Peace. Hey, what's up, everybody, man? Welcome. Oh, glad everyone's back. Today, I got a very, very special guest, okay? She's from my hometown, all right, first and foremost. And she's someone I've met recently in my travels um, while we've been in a very precarious situation as a people. And I've been traveling and meeting her. And um, I've known her for a long time. I know who she is for a long time. And I knew her brother. And... It's just good to have her on my show because she's seen a lot. So that's first and foremost. I have Natasha Pinnell on my show today. Welcome, Natasha. Hi, Hi, everyone. Yes, yes, yes. I would like to drop more props to you, but I just don't know enough. So I'm going to keep it that that simple. (laughs) But I I I always like to give my guests, um, how can I say, I try to give my guests their flowers while they're here because I've lost a lot of people. So I try to make sure that that's taken care of now. Um, first and foremost, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. And thank you for having me on your show. Yes, your wonderful yes. show. Your very informative show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, let's get started. Let's, let, me, let me just start something here, right? Okay. You are an activist. You're a mother. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And... You're a woman who has probably pushed the envelope on a few things in her life. Am I correct by saying that? 
Yes. Or <laughs> well, it depends on what do you mean? Uh, by Especially the envelope, as in like, like a, you've pushed forward for your family and the name of your for your brother and everything. Yes. Yes. Definitely. And so, if that rubbed people, some people the wrong way, yes, then yes. So the, yeah, That's what I mean definitely. by pushing the envelope. Listen, yes. I had to I had to unfollow somebody <laughs> the other day because you know I know them for years and they put on a twenty twenty mega hat and I was just like, whoa, you got right. us. I was just so disappointed, you know, but we'll go into that later on. Um, so your story is unique because I lost my cousin, Ricky. He was murdered, but he was murdered by the, by the hands of another man or a child, mm-hmm. I should say. The kid was 17 years old, but another oh. black child. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that happened in Teaneck. That's, but there wasn't something like that happened in Teaneck since that put that much emphasis on town mm-hmm. back then when you were a young child and your brother was murdered unfortunately yes. that that murder changed the course of your life definitely yeah and you continued to live in the same town in which your brother was murdered and had to deal with the implications of that because for those who don't know he was shot in the back by police officers in the town of Teaneck. Mm-hmm. His name is Philip Pinnell. Do your Googles, you'll know exactly what the story is. But today we're here to discuss his sister and her life. You go through this life, you have to figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. Am I going to be Natasha Purnell or am I gonna be Philip Pinnell's sister? How was that growing up for you as a young girl, dealing with the fact that you're going through that identity crisis and you're still trying to figure out how to best represent your family. How was that for you? Well, initially, you know, it took me some time to kind of get over the fact that he wasn't coming back, you know, because mm-hmm. my brother and I, we were four years apart. Right. So, um, you know, his nickname was Clint. So we would mm-hmm. Clinton. So we would call him um, Clint. So right. Clint basically was 16 when he was shot in the back mm-hmm. uh, with his hands up in the air, surrounded by a six foot fence. Right. Um, and I was 13, so we were about four years apart, and um, we were really, really close. So when it happened, initially, I really was so, like, out of it, and I, I just wanted to think of it as a bad dream, you know, a mm-hmm. nightmare, if you will, and that he's coming back, you know, right. even though he didn't come back the next morning, and then uh, days, and then months, and then, mm. you know, the year um, transitioning into the trial, um, I just still blocked it out of my mind. Like it was all a a nightmare. Like he was, you know, I was just going through the motions of life because I kind of stayed out of school for Mm -hmm. that, like about eight to nine months. Um, And um, because it happened in April. So I I didn't go back to school for the rest of that year. Um, I was homeschooled. And then in September, I didn't go back right away. I, I believe I went back like by that Thanksgiving. So I was out of school for quite some time and out of touch with my friends, if you will. Did that like help that. So or hurt you, you it, think, in, in hindsight? Help. It did help in hindsight because I felt like I was stigmatized and I felt that I was going to be become like a spectacle. Like people were going to look at me as Phil's and, little sister or, right. you know, as Natasha, but not the old Natasha when her brother was alive. But now, because it was so much, it was like a media frenzy. Mm-hmm. And I was all over the news. My family was all over the all over the news. So I really 
um, was stigmatized by that. And I didn't want to be associated with that, you know. Mm -hmm. And then my brother was buried about two and a half, almost uh, three weeks after he was killed because of a cover up, you know, Mm -hmm. that the town of Teaneck um, was, uh, I don't know if they were a part of it, but they most certainly knew what was going on. They were complicit. Yeah, definitely complicit. You know, the night that my brother was shot and killed, his body, we we learned like three or four years later that his body was then shipped to Washington, D.C. to try to reconstruct where the bullet entered his back. So That's an elaborate amount of stuff just to, just for this situation, you know? Yeah, definitely. And that's, a, that's like, that's some stuff that you would do if it was a politician. Exactly. Quite frankly. I mean, well, Spath had a lot of connections politically. Yeah. I mean, his father was the chief of police. His grandfather was the chief of police. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chief of police at the time, Chief Burke, um, he's probably deceased now because he's pretty old back then. <laughs> but uh, he and the judge were best friends. You know, they would go mm-hmm. golfing together. They would go out and have family uh, gatherings together. So it was just a, it was the trial itself was a big fiasco. And then dealing with that, like I, I'm, I know I'm fast forwarding, but to answer your question, I really didn't know what was happening to the point that I could kind of regroup and be and be that child again and be the 13 year old again so i kind of grew up and became a woman that night on april 10th so you grew up you pretty know, fast I, yeah i grew up really fast yeah. really fast did that affect of losing your brother and that closest you had with your brother and losing him because i've lost you know obviously i lost my dad when i was 16 you know i lost my cousin when i was like 26 you know, I lost grandfather, so on and so forth. I've had a lot of losses, put it that way, right? right. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no amount of stuff that you can do that can fill that hole, no. right? But sometimes you feel like you're in a hole with smooth walls, and you can't mm-hmm. climb. Did you have years of that, of feeling like you're just in a hole and you can't climb to see the surface? You can't, you can't get above water. Did you have any time? Like, was that like that for you at any point? I definitely did. You know, I um. Like I said, I really didn't want to be associated with that type of trauma. You know, mm-hmm. um, the way that my brother was killed was so violently and so senseless. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really want anyone to know. And I had no control over that because, of course, it was like a big national case of a 16-year-old being shot and killed by a police officer in yeah. a suburban town. You know, so I couldn't really run away or shy away from that. So. The way I dealt with it is that I kind of like tried to um, get get involved as much as I could in extracurricular uh, activities at school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like basketball. I played for, uh, from the ninth grade until my junior year. Um, and then I was on the dance line. I just kind of stayed busy. You know, I was in the band. I ran cross country. Nice. So every season, I just made made it my business to kind of keep my mind focused on just disassociate myself from from that whole, you know, that whole thing that was going on in my life. And then when I would turn it back on, which was out of my control again, mm-hmm. was when I went home, you know, and then the media cameras would be there or they would be waiting outside um, my aunt's home because my mom and I, the apartment we had at the time, we, we actually was living in, in Teaneck shortly um, before my brother was killed. Um, and then we moved to Inglewood and then from Inglewood, we moved to River Edge. So we were living in River Edge, um, 
you know, at the time. So I just, we couldn't, we couldn't go back to live at the apartment because we tried to stay that, that next night, mm-hmm. but we couldn't last through the night. So then we packed up a bag of clothes, you know, like a overnight bag of clothes and we went to my aunt's house. And luckily we had, a, you know, we had a family that was very supportive at the time and, and they allowed us to stay with them. And we ended up staying with them for about two years. That helped you out a lot. That helped out it a lot. It did right because there. it was a lot of them. I, yeah. I have a huge family. So in one home, actually it was right in, uh, on Park Avenue in Inglewood. So my mm-hmm. aunt had five kids and then they had children, which were my cousins. And uh, they were all my cousins, but they were cousins <laughs> my age. Yeah, yeah. You need them, that. So, you need to have yeah. people around you that, that you know, what well, they say, you need to build a community around yourself to protect yourself. You yeah. know, and that's the truth, you know. Yeah. Um, you grew up in a, in a very volatile time. Mm-hmm. We both kind of did. You know, I grew up, the first real thing that I really saw of abuse was Rodney King, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. the first time I really saw me, um, for me, the first time I really took real ownership of me being a black man was when I saw Malcolm X for the right. first time. You know, I understood then what I want, hopefully my future children can understand now. You know, yeah. and it was different for a black woman mm-hmm. growing up in the 90s and coming in the 2000s and stuff like that. You're coming into womanhood off the tragedy of what happened with your brother. Yes. What was your life like for you growing in, in that sense of it? Because you, now you're coming into womanhood. You know, this is, there's no more joking around. Like you're growing into this woman now. Men are attracted to you, you know. Mm-hmm you're living in a, in a state where you know the effects of what racism and public um, being a public figure could look like, you know, you're scorned by that kind of stuff, but you're also trying to, Hey, look, I'm hot. I'm trying to be out here, you know, live my life. (laughs) Yeah. Did you find yourself able to transition past high school, past these things and figure out what was going on with you then? Or did you get kind of stuck? I got stuck because of what transpired in high school. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. my mom and I were writing, we're in the process of writing a book. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully the book will be published and out on uh, Barnes and Noble's bookshelves everywhere by the first of uh, next year. Nice. Sometime in January. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that said, in high school, there was a, a family uh, unfortunately, and we were friends initially, but mm-hmm. then there was like um, a bit of like a disagreement because of a talent show and um, a talent show. Other, yeah, because of a talent show. To be honest, that something as as minute as that, and um, you know, she I guess she was upset because I was the only one that kind of stood up to her and said, "Well, listen, you can't be in the talent show because you didn't." attend any of the talent show rehearsals. So we want to win this year because the year before or year prior, we, we came in second place. This was a big there. deal, y'all. Let me tell you, talent yeah, shows. The talent in, shows back in, in, in our area, it's a seriously yeah. big deal. <laughs> Definitely it was. It was. Yeah. So, and then we were like ninth graders, you know, and 10th graders. So it's ultra it big like, deal. It's your life. It's yeah. your life. <laughs> yes. So with that said, I was like, no, you can't be in it. So being that I was the only one that stood up to her, yeah. she just waged war, like, from there. So oh, wow. the next day, 
we had class, we had, we had the same class. So the next day mm-hmm. we sat, we so happened to had sat in the same seat. So, you know, like back in the day, they, we used to write notes on the desk and things yeah. like that. And yeah. like, if you like me and then yeah. check the box or mm-hmm. people would write little petty things. So I was reading the desk and daydreaming. Now this is within a year and a half, the trial was going on at this right. time. After right. my brother passed, so it was still fresh in my mind, you know. Yeah. And I was still going to the rallies and civic mm-hmm. leaders and media and all of that was still going on, you know, and up until '92, which mm-hmm. was two years after my brother was killed. So, with that said, and I and I had gone back to school and I was reading the notes on the desk and it said, "I hope you die and be six feet under like your brother," and red ink. So I knew that. You know, I just became enraged because the only thing I can think of in that moment, Brian, was like mm. when my mom and I and my dad and my family was burying my brother and mm. I actually dropped to my knees and I kind of started digging up the dirt to kind of bring him back, you know. So I thought about that moment when she said that. That wound when, is extremely fresh. Yeah, it really was. So yeah. I just went to her class. We started fighting. And then mm-hmm. in the hallway, you know, the bell rung. It was just like complete chaos. Right. And after school, we fought again. And every year from my, I was going into my sophomore year. Oh, well, I think it was in my sophomore year. So every year, sophomore year, I fought her and her family, her brothers, her sister. Within is, that year is, alone, four times. This is high school. This is a very important this time. Is this is yes. this is a very tender time in your in your um yes, in your growth was, as a woman. I have to be very awesome. clear. Like those of like you should be having your first boyfriend at this point. You yes. know, making out. I managed to kind of get that. Yeah, because I'm like these are. I understand the fighting part, but I'm like, hold on, fam, hold on. You should be having some type of because what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is. The dramas that happen to us, we don't understand PTSD at this time. No, and I definitely suffered from that. Right, and, and we didn't know. My thirties. Yeah, and you don't know how that will affect you subconsciously and unconsciously. Right, you know, unconsciously, I should say, and mm-hmm. it plays a role with how you work with friends, your trust issues yeah. with friends. Everything. Like you said, that woman, that woman did that to you, a little girl at the time, you know, maybe I don't know who that woman is now, but what I'm saying Mm -hmm. is she did that then, you know what I'm saying? And didn't understand the consequences of her actions, which set off a reaction that continued for years, as you're saying. For years. Yeah. And I mean, I like, and you never, in in our community, we don't seek therapy. So you never went to therapy at that time. Well, I did. I was, okay. my mom was an excellent mother. You know, she mm-hmm. put me in therapy immediately. And um, this Inglewood school system, when I was, when I was in school, mm. wasn't that bad. You know, they had a therapist there, a school psychologist that used to visit. Her name was Mrs. Duncan. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Duncan had uh, started a D.A.R.E. program and she okay. would take us on the weekends camping okay. and then one day per week, she would have us have like a, a work study job and we would get paid. So I kind of, like I said, I stayed busy. You know, um, right. my brother was killed when I was in the middle school. So then mm-hmm. from the middle school up until the high school, I, um, I, I saw, you know, I saw counseling and it helped. Mm-hmm. But then I thought and then I also uh, my mother linked me to a counselor outside of school and yeah. I didn't really care too much for that therapist per se but Mm -hmm. she did try you know yeah these are things that like 
the reason why I bring this up is because there's so many people who are basically going through what you're going through, what you went through now. They're going through that now. You know, listen, (laughs) growing up for me, like, I love Juice, you know, the movie. Yeah, Yeah, me too. I can relate more with, because I guess I lived in the suburbs. I relate more with Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society than I did that. You know what I mean? Because I grew up, like, in the suburbs, like, these kids were in the suburbs, but there was the slums, you know? Yeah. But I didn't grow up in the slums, neither did you. We didn't grow up in a slum area like that. And when something like that happens, it becomes national news. Our lives get turned upside down. Like you said, Mm -hmm. you tried to work with therapists to help you get through these things. Yeah. Did you still have, you had cousins and did you have homies that were holding you down during that time that you're still good with today? I did, you know, but like I said, I and even to to this day, I kind of don't allow people to get close to me because I feel that I've always felt that if I let my friends in or if I gotten close to them, then something will happen to them, you know. Mm-hmm. So I by by me losing my brother at thirteen and us being so close, I thought that if I were to get close to anyone else, something may happen to them or something may happen transpire that will uh, not allow us to be as close. Or, right, right. So I, I, I had a wall up, you know. I, I still had friend, childhood friends that I still love dearly. They love me dearly. But I've never taken the time out, like, to kind of contact them or hang out as girlfriends and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I miss that, you know. I, I think that's a big part of my life that to this day, you know, affects me a, a great deal because I really actually felt I was something was wrong with me. Like I, I was stigmatized by that. And I didn't, and, and almost it was like a sort of an, an embarrassment that mm. my brother was killed by a police officer. And I, I didn't have any answers. My family, my mom and my dad and, and I, we never got any like type of justice behind it. So, you know, it was, it was just a, a lot going on for me, for, for me at the time. You know? Some things are never some things you just never get an answer for in life. Right. And it's difficult to, to understand. And it's like, you don't get that when you're young. You're just asking mm-hmm. for, you know, you're in survival mode all the time. Right. When you left high school and left that part of your life behind you in a way, mm-hmm. what kind of, what was your life like? Cause people are transitioning, people are going to school. Some people are going to go work in trades. Some people are trying to find a job. Some people are just trying to figure out who they are. What was that mix for you now? Because you're no longer a kid. Right. I'm like an 18 to 21 year old woman. What right. was your life like for you then? Well, um, my mom really kept me sheltered a lot in high school. So I wasn't really able to hang out as much with my friends as I would have liked to. Um, so when I went to college, it was like, wow, I'm free. Like, you know, I'm able to make my own choices live on my own, even though I was in a dorm, you know, and I had a roommate, I just like, I was really, my mother gave me $5,000. No, no Mm -hmm. lie. She gave me $5,000 cash money. And she said, here, you're on your own. (laughs) Sink or swim, young buck. (laughs) That is rough. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing because I spent literally $5,000, at least out of the $5,000. I went to the mall, went shopping. What year was this around? What year was this around? 95. I went to college. Oh, it's go time. It's go time. Yeah, I I graduated in 95. Yeah, there's no social media kids. Those are There's no social media. It's go time. (laughs) It's go time. Is that Freaknik time? It might be Freaknik yeah, time. It's go it time. It was. But like I said, I really never went to Freaknik because I wasn't allowed. My mom had me like so close 
you yeah. know, to her. But when I went to college, it was all she wrote. Like, I was, like, in heaven. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow, I could go to this party. I could go to this house. I could go to this. You know, so I did maintain my grades. You know, uh, she be average. <laughs> but I hung out, like, for my first freshman and so into my sophomore year, I hung out, like, almost practically every day. And I was hitting up, like, five, ten people's houses. Like. So you were rediscovering <laughs> Natasha at that time. You were finding yes. some peace and some freedom from where yes. constantly reminded of where you came from and all the tragedy that came with it. So right, because I went to Virginia State. So yeah, no one knew who I was. Yeah, right, so, so you, got, was, the, like, you got to really, like, live a little bit. And that's important, man. That's important. That's so important. I, I remember... I remember going to, I didn't go to Virginia State, but I went to, I went to Felician College, but okay. it was a place where I could be away from thinking about my father and right. him passing away. Because in Teaneck, a father was a big deal. So anyone mm-hmm. who knew my father knew me or knew my mother and all the, <laughs> all the wildness my mother was, mother is still to this day wild, but it is what it is. <laughs> but it, I didn't have to be reminded all the time that I was Sal's son. Although I love my, my dad, but yeah. you're reminded of all the stuff that you are his son at the end of the day. You know, right. you know all the people that my dad fought with and ran with, they're all around you all the time and they're always trying yeah. to look out. Just trying to do right by your father, you know? Right. And I'm guessing people try to do that, look out for you, your, your brother's friends, probably try mm-hmm. to look out for you, but you're constantly reminded of all that. So now you're in VA and you're away yeah. from that. Yeah, it's pretty good when you get away from people and you got time to be by yourself. Yeah, did you did you start to find that independence in yourself at that time, or how was it for you? Did you start to get lost in the party world? Well, kind of both. You know, mm-hmm. I I would do like literally seven take a seventeen page paper like from two a.m. up until like right up until the time my class was starting, which was like eight a.m. So I would be up all night doing the seventeen-page t- uh, paper. Did you find and coffee at that time? Because I know you weren't finding pills. You had to find coffee. No, well, <laughs> I, I actually, I, I don't know. I think I may have drink, used to drink coffee, but I'm not sure. I think I was like it was go time. So it's yeah, like yeah. I can't disappoint my mother, and right. I can't do this, I can't do that. And then mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, my mom is such an awesome mother, and she's always. She's always been, you know, so right. I was thinking like, okay, I owe it to her at least to finish college. So, yeah. you know, and I don't want to finish with like a bad GPA, you know, so I, I mm-hmm. kind of maintained to the best of my ability and still partied as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, see, that's good. That's good. So you, you go away to school, you're back and forth, I'm guessing, from Teaneck to VA. I'm yes, I used to back. come home like every weekend. Oh, I used what? to literally drive home. Yeah, I well, <laughs> not, well, I had a car, but I had to leave it up here my freshman year. My mother okay. didn't allow me to take it until my sophomore year. <laughs> so when I would go um, home, I would I started off taking the Greyhound, and then okay. I begged my mother into my second semester of my freshman year because mm. she give me my car. Christmas she break. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so then. I actually used to park it off campus because as a freshman, you weren't allowed to Correct. have a vehicle. So um, it worked out. It worked out. That whole going back and forth and being back and forth and everything else, did you start to see um, a real change in yourself? Did you start to notice, like, I'm changing. I'm not, I'm, I'm somebody else now. I don't even need to deal with these people. Kind of the way yeah. people come back and, they, you know, you don't got to say you were brand new. 
But if you're right. brand new, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a new world no, for you. I wasn't brand new. I, when I saw, when I did get a chance to see my friends, I was really happy, you know, because yeah. a part of me did want to be reminded of, of my, my childhood and reminded yeah. of the essence of my brother's presence, being around the people, like his best friends and people yeah. we grew up with, played kickball with, dodgeball, hide mm-hmm. and go seek. So when I was around them, it almost gave me the sense that my brother's spirit was still with us, you know? Facts, facts, so facts. I, I enjoyed that as well. That's, yeah. See, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, that's good that you can start to have that balance. Your life probably starts to take over that point. You yeah. graduated. Did you graduate out of VA or you didn't graduate? I did. I graduated. Um, I took a semester and a half off because I had my son. When okay, I was, was going to get to that, but I didn't know if it happened yeah. during while you were in school or after it was in college. I no, I, I had him. I met his dad at Virginia State. Okay. And, um, you know, we were together for a few years. Um, and throughout that time, you know, we had a son together and, mm-hmm. um, then I decided to go back to school because I was like, I'm not gonna say that I moved all the way from Jersey, not graduated from high, high um, college, but mm-hmm. say that I moved down here just to have a child. <laughs> so I was like, no, that's not going to be me. I totally get what you're saying on that one. Now, <laughs> now, how does it, how did it feel? Because you, what, you were what, like 21, 20 at this time? I was 22 when 22, I met my 22. Dad. So you're yeah. about 22 years old. So relatively, yeah, still relatively young. My mom had me when she was 18, so I don't really don't count you that much, but I get what you're saying. But yeah. at 22, you're still trying to figure things out. And now yeah. all of a sudden, you're having a son. Mm-hmm. Black boy being born to a mother at this time. And you're mm-hmm. also still, you're still coming out of the effects of what happened with your brother and now you're having a son you know my yeah. my little cousin just had a boy not too long ago and mm-hmm. her brother was the one who had died and mm. you know it was hard for her you know because right. it's a boy you know was mm-hmm. it a struggle for you when you found out it was a boy to like come to grips with that or were you just in bliss I was in bliss because I, I always said, even when I was younger, when this happened um, mm-hmm. to, to me, I said, if I ever have a son, I'm going to name him after my brother. Okay. So I was glad to have had a son. And then the, just to back up, like, I'm, I, I, I feel that God brought my son and I together. And I, like, I couldn't ask for a better son because he is so awesome with being understanding and you know, the traumas that I experienced with raising him because mm-hmm. it wasn't until 36 that I started to really realize that I didn't want to live my life in pain anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's a long time to live in grief and pain, even though there's no time frame to grief. Yeah. I actually struggled with the loss of my brother from 13 all the way up until 36. Mm-hmm. You know? So it was a lot. It was difficult. And, and then on top of that, prior to me having my son, I, had a, I was pregnant with twins. Oh, and I didn't know I that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And oh, I, I, wow. I, mean, I don't really talk about things like this that much, but yeah. just, you know, we're having a, a conversation. So mm-hmm. I don't want to, I want to be authentic as, yeah. as much as I possibly can. So prior to me having my son, um, I was pregnant with twins and twins actually run in my family. My mom's a twin. Mm-hmm. I have about five sets of twins on my mom's side and about maybe three sets on my dad's side. Um, so after I miscarried with the twins, within maybe a month or so, I had I was I, I conceived Armando because that following January I mm-hmm. um, birthed my son. 
That's a lot going on in a short amount of time. Yeah. And did because I remember when when my cousin was pregnant and everything, she felt like, you know, piece of her probably felt like she owed it to have this child at this age, you know, whether she was ready or not ready. Did those kind of things come to you at all? Or did you just like, I'm good. This is this is great. I'm all right. I feel that I should have waited a little longer, you know, and, and graduated from college at least, and maybe mm-hmm. mentally. I, I always wanted to do the fairy tale wedding thing, have a you know, get married, have a husband, and then have right. a child. Right, right, Not right. Around. So mm-hmm. I wasn't disappointed with myself, but I definitely okay. um, felt that I was a little too young or I was experiencing too much because mm-hmm. I was still struggling, you know, um, right. with the trauma and, and things like that. So I remember when I when I a woman I was dating, she was she was pregnant. It was I was 20 mm-hmm. and I was <laughs> I lived a life. Let's put it that way. And it was it was very weird to be with someone and that not work out mm-hmm. in that situation. Right. Are you and your son's father good now still, or y'all are okay? Yeah, we're, we're like, you know, we, we co-parent pretty well, but okay. my son is 21 now. So yeah, if he like, doesn't need any of that now. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but throughout the years, we yeah. able to work through some things, you know, um, mm-hmm. it was difficult. We had our struggles. But at this point, you know, within the past, like, I want to say maybe six or seven years or so, right. we've, we've done pretty well. That's a blessing. That's yeah, a big, is. big blessing. That's it a big is. blessing. Now, mm-hmm. moving on. Because you're a mom. You graduate college. You got responsibilities. Okay? Mm-hmm. Most people graduate college, time to go get lost in the party scene after work. Okay? Right. <laughs> You got to go and move forward in life. You know what I mean? Tell me, what did you career-wise, mentally, where were you you thinking you needed to go? Were you like, oh, I got to go get a, like, go get find a job job? Or did you say, look, I'm going to go further this degree I got and try to see if I can get a job in that thing? I wish I had have done that, further Mm -hmm. my degree at an early age, and I had every opportunity to do so. But Mm -hmm. I thought that I knew the pathway that I wanted to take. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go this way instead of that direction and getting it out the way, so to speak, right. and getting my master's and everything all in one you know, time. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I said, okay, I always wanted to be a lawyer. So I was thinking about going to law school. Yeah, I can see you doing that for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually, I mean, I didn't want to say, my mom was like, shh, don't, don't count your chickens before they hatch or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that um, feeling. I'm getting yelled. I've been yelled at many, many times. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually contemplating. I'm studying, um, and I have been for like the past few weeks for the LSAT. So I'm gonna see where I am with that. Yeah. Thank you. That's um, gonna be dope. That's gonna be yeah. dope. That's a legacy. I have, some, I have some written recommendations from some prominent people, um, a couple of judges and lawyers. Yeah. From- I'm going to try my best to see if I kind of stick with it this time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a much mature woman and I was able to kind of get to this point in life where I can actually say, proudly say mm-hmm. that I'm not in the grievance stage anymore. I'm in the understanding who I am and, and acceptance stage and then so that I can heal. So I'm understanding my wounds more so now. But I got to say, you're a very young woman still 
<laughs> yeah. Like, 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 like just the energies is very young. It's not old. I need to drink and smoke cigarettes and I'm beating the fuck <laughs> right. down. You know right. what I mean? I know we and you have seen this. This is a I don't see I don't want to say Tinek is all this, but there's plenty of that. Right. And right. you don't seem anywhere close to that. You seem in good, like you always glowing. Always glowing every time I see you. You don't even look your age, so it's really good. <laughs> Thank you know you. what I mean? Now you 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 sign to do that, right? Yes. But there was a time that was before that. Mm-hmm. But you could have done that. Did you go right into the workforce? Because you got responsibilities as a mom. Yeah. What was life like for you now moving into full adulthood? Barring what you've had in your past, mm-hmm. that can't carry into what you're doing now because you got to be on to your next thing. Like from like 25 to 35, those are very turbulent years for some people. I know for me, it was a lot of ups and downs. Yes. Where was that stage of your life? How was that for you? Well, like you said, I was a young mother, so I definitely had the mindset that I'm going to work and support my son and I, and we're not going to have to want for anything. We're not going to go hungry and, you know, his clothes are going to stay clean. And, but I, you know, I'm going to maintain a, a decent lifestyle. And I did, you know, I, I worked um, two jobs at, while, while I was pregnant with my son. I said, you know, I'm not going to sit at home. And like I said, I had this mentality that I'm not going to just move from Jersey to Virginia and go to school and have a baby. So mm. I, I decided to go to nail cosmetology school, Smart. but the smell of the perms were, were making me grow up every day. Well, because that's because you got you got your body's from, reacting. The baby's reacting. All that stuff is yeah. happening. So my, my teacher was like, you know, Natasha, you're a liability. You can't, you can't stay here like this in this condition. So you have enough hours to get your esthetician license and your nail license. And right. I can set you up for the state board. So I did that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm a licensed nail tech and an esthetician, so I can go into a salon or nail salon and, and work as a... Uh, that's a good ass... That's a good trade. As a yes. black woman, you know, <laughs> you already know what time it is. Yes. We, feed, we feed those people, okay? We feed yes. a lot of people with what we do. Like, yeah. and Not just black women, Spanish women too. Lord. It's a no. lucrative field. Yeah. I... I, I I challenge more black women to go into doing nails and things like that yeah. because we need, you know, we know more so about our skincare and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, our health other than other, other cultures, other yeah. cultures of women. So we should definitely go more so be, and we'd, become nail techs and estheticians, you know. I, it bothers me when I go places. I'm like, you know, you guys are the biggest buyers yeah, we are. You, we are. Nails out to here. You're spending money. Those curls <laughs> cost money like 140 bucks, yeah. man. Look right here. I get, I get a new style like almost every week. Look at yeah. my hair. It's different. You know, I, these places be racking up on the washing sets. So the, oh, my Lord. Yes, like, they do. What? How much? I just <laughs> I used to just sit there with my, look like, I just be like, yo, I'm not working from, I don't even have enough money to get my own self a haircut. And I just pay for your nails and your hair. Yes. This is yes. the life, you know? And everything because of the COVID is going up now. Like pedicures right. went from like 18, 20 to like now $25 for pedicure. And, you know, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, man. Like, and, I, and now I understand like that's important that we look at things outside of it. Like for me, quiet's kept, I want to try to purchase a laundromat in, in a couple of years. You, that know, would be you yeah. know, like we need to look, we need to look inside ourselves as a culture. Right. And say, don't be mad at, at all these Indian folks who own mm-hmm. the bodegas and your 
um, 7-Elevens, they just had different ideas about what the American dream was than me or you. Exactly. Maybe you should go do the same thing. You know, we -hmm. need to look at not trying to own anything that has to do with entertainment. We need to start thinking more. We need or real estate more so, but franchises and stores and things that we could weekly own to. I totally agree with you. You know, because that's how you buy back. That's really how you buy back the hood is that's what you really got to get into because you can yeah. buy one 7-Eleven and then have 10 others and you're going to be, you can drive your Bentley. You yeah. know? You're going to be you know, good. Yeah. yeah. You get your trade on or whatever. You buy salons and, and, and not just buy a salon because you're trying to wash money. You're buying a salon because you really want to buy a salon. Um, right. You go into the nail tech world. You become certified in this business right yes and you're working this business what kind of things you discover because this is not what you had planned on so now you're in a new world what was what was it like for you in that world for you yeah well let's i'm just gonna back up really quick Um, mm -hmm. while i was going to nail school i also decided that i was going i wanted to either go into the military or become a police officer so i went to the police academy when i was uh well it actually wasn't the academy they they allowed they had this test this rigorous agility test Mm -hmm. if you will so you have to take a written test that i believe i scored like in the 70s the mid 70s and then um, on the test, I passed it, the obstacle course in like less than 20 minutes. And okay. I had to carry a 70 pound um, dummy through like this obstacle course or a part, partially through. It's a dead and man. And that was lift. crazy. Yeah. You, yeah. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. a dead man lift. You got to carry that yeah. thing. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> it is. It was. But I, I did it. You know, even I crawled with that big dummy. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was actually. Um, it was a fire hose that they made into a dummy, like a real actually fire hose. Those fire hoses are really heavy. I'm you gotta respect firemen, there. man. Firewomen and fire. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Like the stuff they have to do. I'm like, oh, I yeah, can't do that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so man. I was gonna do that. My mom cried and cried, and she was like, she didn't want me to do that. So that's what led me to the whole nail tech thing. Okay. Um, okay, okay. And so while. When I got out of nail school, I did get a job in a few salons down there. And then I figured that I didn't really want to do that or I wanted to make more money because I didn't want to just depend on the tips and things like that. Because as a nail tech back then, you didn't really get paid that much. You had to rely more so on the tips mm-hmm. or, or the gratuity. So I decided to go into mental health and I, mm-hmm. I started working at Central State Hospital, which is um, a, a big mental institution um, down in Petersburg or down in that area. So I worked there for about a few years and I was making really good money there. Um, and then something happened and I ended up working in a prison as a, a correctional officer for oh, about you a year. Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't think we yeah, need to do this podcast. Sorry. I can't talk to you. <laughs> that was crazy. That was yeah. a crazy experience because I worked on the, men- the criminally insane ward Oh. And it was really, really crazy then. Oof. That yeah. is no joke. Yeah. You know, that is a, that will wear on you. Yeah. It'll wear on you. Yeah. Being the fact that you're, you're, you're all the way in as a provider, that's a lot mm-hmm. to deal with. That's it was. That's a lot to deal with. So when did you make your way back up here? Um, I decided, I, I stayed in VA after I graduated, maybe for like almost 10 years. So I moved back up to Jersey in like 04. Okay. 2004. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I've been back ever since. All right. 
Oh four is a, it's a wild time. It was a wild time. Things yeah. were happening in Patterson that were bad. Mm-hmm. Things that were happening all over this area mm-hmm. at that time. And yeah. it was a free-for-all as far as drugs and violence was happening. You know, people yes. don't really talk about it, but it was it was on. Lo- yeah, it was a lot of heroin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the heroin era was big during that time. Did you worry yeah. about your son? As you were moving back up here and what kind of things, how it would affect him? I did in a way, but I knew that I kind of, um, I taught him really well. And then mm. also I kept him a little sheltered. Like I knew his friends and his, mm. I needed my business to meet his friends, parents and things like that. So he had like maybe a few people, a few kids rather that he was close with. And I knew kind of like when he went out, he was generally with them, you know? Okay. I got you. I got you. Because yeah. it's a strange time, you know, when you come back up here. I'm not going to lie to you. I was very heavy in those places. I knew exactly what I was seeing. You know what I mean? I could tell you stories and stuff, you know? Right. What's, now, you had been back and forth, obviously. So you knew Teaneck, you knew the whole area and everything else. You had been back and forth while you were in VA and everything. But living mm-hmm. here, visiting is two different things. Right. Did it change a lot for you? Had it changed that much? Mm-hmm. I really, that's a good question. I mean, I think I was so like wrapped in like survival mode with that mm-hmm. mentality. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a single mother. It's going to even be harder now because the cost of living is so much more than living mm-hmm. in Virginia. So I had to make my business to get a, a good job up here. And, mm-hmm. you know, I pretty much stuck with the mental health field and case management because I knew that this salary wise, it will kind of be like what I was looking for, you know? So I just kind of like, you know, went to work, came home. You had the blinders on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I definitely had the blinders on for a while. When did you, when did the blinders start to come off and you started to look around and say, yo, this, there's something going on. I don't, something, there's a lot going on right now. What's going on? Because this time your mother, she's a grieving mother. She's probably been grieving for years because you lost her son. Um, but she loves her daughter, probably loves her grandbaby, like nobody's business. Right. Yeah. But your mother, your mother needs an outlet to express herself mm-hmm. and push out and get out there about her child and what happened to her child. Right. And you know, you're a loyal daughter. So you're going to help your mom as best you can. I don't, I'm forgive me now. It's just you. It was just you and Philip. Was there another sibling? I don't know. I didn't find out that I had another sibling until maybe five years ago. Welcome to the club. Or six years ago. Yeah. I didn't, know, I didn't know I didn't know a sibling. I had an uncle. I didn't know I had an uncle until about six years ago. I was like, what? Wow. Yeah, well, you know, Harlem. That's, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Definitely amazing experience. Yeah, it's an, it's an enlightening experience. You're like, oh. It's an enlightening experience. Too. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's great. I'm in you know, most of my entire life. But anyway, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to keep smiling. See how you keep smiling? It's like, yeah, yeah you do. I try. Because if I don't, I'm going to hurt somebody. But yay. Um, right. <laughs> did you, when did you really take the blinds off and start looking around and seeing that your environment was changing? Because you were um, when my cousin passed. So I know that that must yeah. have been a shock to you at that point. Yes, it was. It was. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, you know, my condolences Thank you. to you and your family. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really knew it was a different time when 
a lot of younger people I was hearing that was being killed, that were dying. Um, drug also, use. yeah, a lot of drug use. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just the age range was just getting younger and younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when my son, when Armando used to come home and he used to tell me like how the kids would talk to him and, you know, taunt, he was taunted a lot, you know, because he was like a little chubby kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I was just like kind of blown away from some of the things that he would come home and be like, you know, mommy, mommy, this person said this, or this person said that. And I'm like, what? You did, you're just a child. You're only like six, seven years old. How can they talk like that? You know? Mm-hmm. So that's when I started realizing like, whoa, like things are, are changing. And then plus I, I moved around a lot. I actually, from 04 to 2010, I moved 14 times, you know, because I was, I still was struggling emotionally. I was really displaced. And I, I don't know, to be honest with you, I think back now and I'm thinking like, I don't really know why I moved so many times, but it was unfortunate for my son because he was always the new kid and he was never able to like establish a core group of friends. And when he did, we would move again. You yeah, know, so. and that's hard because that he, he his mentality becomes like an army brat. At the yeah. end, yeah, you know, it happens. The instability of childhood. Like my mother was very unstable for a long time. You know, I mean, but I had the stability of my grandparents, which helped out. You know, if I didn't have them, I don't know where I would be. You know, but I saw a lot of my friends and cousins go down the wrong path because of the instability of their family. Right. You always had your mother that gave you some stabilization right there, and for him too. You know, he could always yeah. look to your mother. Um, did you, once, once you got to the point where you started to find some stability and you started to find some type of stabilist, did you start to say that I could have more of a life for myself and not just be in survival mode? Did you start to pull back and start to see that I could just be more, more or less not so much always looking over my shoulder trying to make things work? Right. That didn't happen until I was about 36. Yeah. 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 So I was always in some, that survival mode. My dad had a stroke and then he had mm-hmm. several mini strokes after that stroke, like a year after. So I, I was still in survival mode because I had to take care of my dad and I didn't want to see, you know, anything happen to him up until mm-hmm. the, the point where I couldn't take care of him because I was working. Um so it wasn't until that point I said, you know, I woke up one morning, literally, and I said, you know, I, I, I can't live my life like this anymore. I don't want to live my life as that 13-year-old girl who lost her brother by the hands of a police officer, because that's not just, that doesn't define who I am, you know? Facts. And, Facts. and then I just changed my life. I, I started drinking water more. Mm-hmm. I started meditating. I mm-hmm. started um, being a nicer person, a, a better mom. You know, did you see the change in your son because of that? I did, but at that point, he was so like rebellious at all those years of of um, mental and emotional torture that I kind of put him through. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I mean, he's not a reflection of that, and I'm so and I'm not (laughs) on wood that he never becomes a reflection of that because. He, he's so understanding. He's so yeah. down to earth. He's so loving and caring. And, and, you know, despite of all the things I put him through and he's seen me go, go through and put mm-hmm. myself through when mm-hmm. he was growing up. You know, like I said, I, I can't say that and stress that enough that I, could, I can't ask for a better child, you know, a better yeah. son. So. 
It affected him then, but it doesn't affect him now. Which is a big, big plus because that means yeah. you raise a decent adult. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's yeah. how it has to happen because at least he went through it back then and not so much now. He's 21. He's still got a lot to go through. You know, yeah. we understand that. But if he's got a better foot than he did when he first started, then that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a really good thing. So tell me, when did you guys, when did your family and everything, when did you guys start the foundation that you guys have started? Well, my mom and I, we started the Philip Pennell Foundation last year mm-hmm. um, in August of last year. So this year will be actually, this August will be one year. Nice. Um, yeah. So we started the foundation and, and pretty much um, the first event was on October 3rd, which mm-hmm. was the commemoration of life to celebrate my brother. And it was really amazing because um, my my brother's friends really shut down and it affected um, not just them, but this, this, this incident affected and changed many people's lives. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that were close to my brother um, just shut, shut down and then shut that part out of their lives. So mm-hmm. it's 29 years and it had been th- 29 years, excuse me, and none of them were able to express themselves in the manner that they did that evening. Because we and don't that, do the work. No, that's right. They don't do the, we don't we don't do the work. But I think it. some people, it's not that they don't want to. Mm-hmm. I think that it's so um, painful and it's so um, traumatic that they they just can't bear to to go through that pain again. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I know the feeling of like every time I talk to someone who's lost their father when they're young, we have a different kind of connection. You know, Mm -hmm. we understand each other in a way I can't put into words because it's that loss of not having a parent around is different, you know, and then you know that that person, you know, you're always thinking, well, I hope they're proud of me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure it's pretty much the same for you because you're always thinking, I hope, I hope that he thinks I'm doing the right thing you know, up there in heaven, looking down upon me. Mm -hmm. And when that comes into play, you go through anxiety, you second guess yourself. You know, you don't always know what to say or what it, what you should be doing. But starting the foundation is something that you guys, and that's a great thing that you guys did do Mm -hmm. because that was a smart thing. And it's a beautiful thing. So that brings me to now. And it's hard because we've been fighting this battle for a long time. Right. You know, Eric Gardner was just the tipping point, mm-hmm. you know, and then we're here now with Breonna Taylor, with Ahmaud Aubrey, and with George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And they're all within a successional part during COVID. Right. There was a time in COVID where I felt like everyone had put all that shit to the side, race included, and we were just one people. Mm-hmm. Tell me how was it for you to be coming from where you came from? You've put enough work into yourself to put yourself into a becoming a fully fledged, functioning, well taken care of woman at this point. Like you're a solid woman at this point. You got yourself where you wanted to be here. Your son is where you want him to be. Mm-hmm. How was it for you when COVID started and then this 
movement explodes. Take me mm-hmm. in that time frame from when COVID started to then. What was your mind frame? Where were you at with this? Um, I was trying to figure out, you know, my financial um, stability, you know, because I worked in a school and then we had um, just abruptly stopped school. Um, Safety-wise, within that few weeks of of the country shutting down, Mm. I lost several people, like several people that I was close to, like colleagues that I worked with and that I was really, really cool with. And so, like, with with dealing with, like, um, the shock of losing them to something that was unknown and we didn't really quite know what was going on, was another like layer it added another level to to this whole COVID thing mm-hmm. and then like a few weeks later you hear about Ahmaud Aubrey and yes. George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and I'm like mm-hmm. you know what's going on and then not only that you hear you, you hear about the whole um black on black crime and gun violence and mm-hmm. young people being things killed. that happened in Chicago um, prior yeah, to yeah that's what yeah. I'm saying right so and then it, I think one weekend in Chicago, around that time when COVID first hit, it was like 14 deaths or 20. I think it was Father's Day weekend. It was yeah. like 14 or 24 deaths or mm-hmm. something like that. One or the other. I know it was a four at the end. And I was like, you know, what can I do more? I just went into this whole um, social justice change agent, like, Power mm-hmm. Ranger type mode, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you felt like you need to get active. You yeah, got active. That, that's yeah. what happens sometimes. You get activated, and it, it activated you. And like, I now I'm active. I'm it in did. here. I'm out here right now. So I was gung ho, Brian. When it first mm-hmm. hit and George Floyd and all that stuff, I said I'm going to every rally, and I did. Mm-hmm. Like within that that first two and a half three weeks after George Floyd, I, I had attended eight rallies, mm-hmm. eight rallies, and then. I look. I started looking at myself in the mirror, and I was like, "Wow, Tasha, aging!" Like you, you know, literally. I looked at myself one morning when I got up, and I was supposed to go to two more that weekend that was coming up, and I was already right at Friday because I was going to rallies in New York too. Mm-hmm. You know, so rallies locally, and then I was going to New York, and mm-hmm. I said, "No, I can't attend every rally. I got to slow down a little bit because your health, like self care, is better." Yeah. You can't help exactly. nobody if you can't help yourself. Jay-Z exactly. taught me that. You know what I mean? Like, don't matter how much you want to help. If you can't take care of yourself, that's why they tell you when, when that mask comes down and the plane's going down, you're supposed to put the mask on yourself first. Right. And then your child. So it makes sense. It makes sense. You know, that's, mm-hmm. and that's how you got to look at life. Like, if you can't take care of you, you can't help me. Right. If you can't take care of yourself, don't look. You know what I mean? But so you, that sparked something in your family sparked mm-hmm. friends of yours, friends that I saw it at the Teaneck rally, you know, shout out to all my youngins who put that together. Shout out yeah, to y'all. Shout out to them. Power yeah. to the people. Yeah, to the young man. people. The young people. I was yeah. so proud. Still bursting Me with pride. So much pride. Me too. In, in that sense, to see the young folk who look mm-hmm. like me and you. Yes. How was that for you? Because now you're OG like me. Yeah, OG. OG <laughs> now. Me OG. <laughs> <laughs> it's like weird what I hear. That. Yeah, like, you got accept it. It's a difficult, right? But then, because now, because life, life after thirty-five begins. I don't for y'all don't know. It slows down. You see, it you see things. 
that you didn't yes. see before. It's it's just a weird thing. And if you've never experienced it, you will one day. You're going to start right. to see things change. Yes. Um, in that situation, you're seeing these kids. And you, I know it had harkened back to your youth to see yes. it. Yes. What kind of elations did you feel? What kind of emotions did you feel? I remember when we were in CNET, we were at the first rally. And I have that shot of you talking to those girls, which you never posted, by the way. And it's right there. I see it. I sent. I sent. I got. I sent you all the photos. They're all in your Instagram. And um, you too. Either they're in the Instagram or you're, you're in your um, I, um text. Like, they're all there. They're all there. I have to check your text message because I don't know if I got them all. I think I got one or two pictures that you either tagged me in. But I like if you send it to me, I'll definitely post it on because the Philip Canal <laughs> Foundation has a um an Instagram page, so I'll post oh. it on there. Yeah, yeah. yes, but here or there, the yeah. picture is of you talking to the youth, mm-hmm. and it's generational. You know, like who better to talk to them than you? Mm, thank you. You know what I mean? Because you come from it. You get what I'm saying? So it's like, look, I was there when your mama was there. Mm-hmm. And I'm here now to help you. Yes. You get what I'm saying? And that's what you right. have to, you have to like understand, you know? Mm-hmm. And these are young black people who need people who look like them to lead them. Right. But they also don't even need us to lead them no more. They're no. going to lead themselves. <laughs> I mean, and they need. Our, they do need our guidance. They though. need the guidance. They need the people. They need, they need us there. They need us there. Yeah. But we're like the wise old man with the stick who's telling you to do this so you learn. <laughs> right. That's pretty much what we are. And I'm okay with that because I'm here right. to guide and help. I'm not here to... I'm not here like the previous generation. I'm not standing on my ego expecting people to follow me. My soapbox isn't made out of my ego. I don't have that. You know, I don't right. need that. I'm pretty secure on who I am. Yeah. I think that it's important that people like yourself tell your story. Mm, thank you. Because people like yourself need to um, tell your story because there's, there's a hundred Natasha's home. Yeah. You know, hundreds who mm-hmm. need to hear that they are not alone. Their brothers is taken from them too. You know, yeah, I wish are. that I, I had that though. And, and yeah. it's interesting that you're saying that. And it's so important that you're emphasizing that. And I, and I thank you and appreciate the fact that you even thought about just thinking that up because I wish that there were other kids, how the kids are, how the youth are moving now, you know, mm-hmm. pulling up like Riri said and yeah. mobilizing. I wish it was more of, of them when we were growing up, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I would have felt a little bit more secure or maybe not so much stigmatized yeah. by it, you know, right. Um, but I commend them too, you know, and when I was talking to them, I try to come from a place, you know, from a motherly perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I look through the lens that it's a sensitive topic. It's mm-hmm. sensitive to me still because it kind of brings me back. Every time my mom and I hears of another George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, mm-hmm. you know, all of these cases, um, it brings back that, 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 that what happened to us, that trauma that from mm-hmm. day one. And sometimes I lose place. Like, I, you know, I'm not perfect and I'm right. still working on my delivery. Mm-hmm. But one thing I know about myself is that I've always stayed true to who I am in a sense of like wanting better for the world mm-hmm. in general, you know, and the world being the next generation, mm-hmm. you know. They, stayed on they, message. They, Stay on right? message. You know, 
like Pac said, excuse me, really quick, Mm -hmm. like Pac said, he may not be the one to change the world, but he may be the one Mm -hmm. who's going to spark the mind of someone that's going to change the world. I live by that. Yeah, just thinking about that. Because it's true, because at the end of the day, we are all connected. You know, I'm yeah. call me hippie if you want, whatever. But I know <laughs> for a fact, <laughs> I know for a fact we all connected. What happened to that kid? What happened? What's happening to that kid in Mumbai will eventually affect you here. You just don't know yeah. it yet. You yeah. know, we're all connected. Right. Poor people in India, poor people in Chicago. We all mm-hmm. just poor. The Even day the that, police, poor, yeah. poor crime. Poor like, crime. When, police, when police kill, when police abuse us, yeah. that's poor, poor crime right there. Exactly. Police, they don't make a lot of money. No, <laughs> they, just, they don't make a lot of money. They want paycheck from being poor. Exactly. <laughs> you know? They make up all their money in perks and their yes. union. Yes. You know, and it's one of the few unions that survived when the mob got taken down in the 80s, that survived right. it. You mm-hmm. know, and in this world, Organization is key. You know, I take my cues from the Black Panthers, although the Black Panthers was just too much disorganization in certain parts of it, too much ego and hubris, and not enough about the people after a while became less than that. And, you know, Fred Hampton died and things just went wrong. And he was powerful, very powerful. Powerful Mm -hmm. man, but all the powerful people get murdered. He was too, but I think Mm -hmm. that you can look in his eyes, even Mm -hmm. back then and through speeches. I, and I worked in mental health for 22 years. Yeah. So it's like you kind of look at per, a person in their eye and you can kind of see the, Crazy the, the, the dynamic. Right. That mm-hmm. there's something chemically, there's a chemical imbalance there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I always felt that way, even when I was younger and I was a radical, you know, mm-hmm. experiencing that whole thing um, that Huey P was like, you know, Huey P knew and something wasn't quite all there. And I would never say it in a way that like, I'm knocking him, mm-hmm. but like we all have trauma, we all have things that we deal mm-hmm. with, you know, in certain ways. And and what's normal to you may not be normal to me. What's normal to me may not be normal to you. Right. So I I don't like to judge people, but you know when you have like um, an interesting dynamic and in leadership, then yes. it's like a trickling down effect. And I mm-hmm. think Fred Hammond kind of was able to be more there like mentally socially mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. uh you know mobilizing wise yes. and, and organizing wise he was it you know yeah. and then they took him out in a manner and they knew that so that's why they killed him and yeah they, they knew they, they couldn't have they couldn't have us be organized because mm-hmm. i can tell you like this jewish people say one thing and they always say one thing universally yeah genocide will never happen again right us as black people in this country need to say slavery will never happen again. Exactly. To nobody, mm-hmm. anywhere, mm-hmm. anytime. Right. But because we are so fragmented and we have been kept poor for so long. Yeah. I'm more afraid of my brother than I am of the white man. Yeah. And that's sad. You know, that's I mean, sad. We, don't have, we can't identify with a place, not one place. You know, yeah. we don't have a, a nation. If exactly. Will, exactly. Origin. So but, that's difficult too. I think it's also becoming something that it's cats out the back. Mixture is mm-hmm. beginning. Mm-hmm. There won't be any color, won't be color, be more classism in the future. That yeah, I, there's I no agree. way getting around that anymore. You know, I totally agree. you know, and how do you feel? Your son grew up in a time where he saw a black president. 
Mm-hmm. I was told when I was younger that would never happen. My grand, I thought my grandparents would go to their grave without seeing that. My right. grandfather saw that, you know? Mm-hmm. And my mom saw it, my aunts, all these people saw it. Mm-hmm. Where, where, where would you want the youth to go? Mm-hmm. And what do you want for yourself now that you have overcome your past to be this person that you are today, where do you want things to go now for you and your own? And where do you see things going? Um, I foresee, you know, um, me continue to move in the space that I'm moving as far as like a lighter space, a more healthier space. Yes. Um, you know, perhaps later on, somewhere away down the road having brands. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and perhaps, like I said, we're going to see uh, how it, how this road of um, law school leads me. And then, if you will, if, if that leads me down the road of becoming a lawyer, which was one of my dreams since I was a little girl, mm-hmm. then I plan on working with other families and being more like well-informed uh, legally mm-hmm. to be able to help them because I, I figure I already have the emotional um, side or aspect, if you will, kind of like I've gone through the experiences and some of the things that I've done that didn't work for me, I could share those experiences with other families that this may be, you know, who may be newcomers to um, dealing with or being victimized by police brutality or, or having a loved one being killed uh, by a police officer. And then I'll be more well-versed if I, if I become a lawyer, you know, right. in a system in that way. So right. I'm excited about that, to be honest. So I'm more mm. so focused on that. I'm also focusing on um, continuing to mobilize, organize. I'll be at the March on Washington mm-hmm. um, on August 28th, you know. So just continue in the momentum and, and, and working in the space that I am. I mean, I have a, a talk show that I'm doing. So I want to continue to, you know, and I would love to have you on my my show as a guest as well. Oh, <laughs> did I get invited somewhere? Oh. Yes, I love to have you on. I would love to do that. Show. I would love okay. to do that. Yes. I would love to do that. Please don't mind. I'm so, a little weird. Just accept that. No, that's okay. I okay. love Listen, you're not weird. You're eccentric. <laughs> okay, you're I, I yes. thank you. Thank you. Or, thank or you're you. an enigma. I'm an enigma. Yeah, I'm so not crazy. I'm not crazy. I haven't kicked anybody down steps in a few years. I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good now at this stage. Yeah. But see, see, that's the energy that you have right there. See, people bring that. But I think you becoming a lawyer and working with the people and working as an advocate for um for our rights is very important, given mm-hmm. your history. You get what I'm saying? I think that's Thank dope. You. I think that's really yeah. dope that you're going through that. Do you have anything that um going on? How do you feel about where your son and that generation is going to go now? Because your son's in the same generation that we're, we're talking about. Really. I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Armando, he's never, um, he's never been the one that was like power to the people. You know, he's mm-hmm. supportive of me and my mom, you know, but he's not as, flam- like he's not out there in that, in that sense. But um as far as how he's he, how he moves, he has he took on the whole notion and attitude like myself. Like he just wants people to do well and do better. He wants mm-hmm. everybody to get along, and he wants to live in a world that people feel safe. You know, yes. and he's expressed that to me. So I feel that with his mentality 
and his character that he, he's going to go far in life if he continues to to be in that mindset because it's it's so difficult for the millennial generation and I feel bad for my son because society like societal norms they don't raise healthy kids it's the world we live in the kids are very socially awkward and I don't blame them. You know, I don't blame them because they're so, they have so much to deal with, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm hopeful that the younger generation, from what we see, how they're mobilizing and they're like, we're going to fight and we're, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're Mm -hmm. not looking at the color of people's skin. They're looking and judging people by their character and the growth. And the growth, yes. Yes, yes, So yes. Dr. Martin Luther King would be definitely happy with this generation. Yeah, I, I think he'd be very happy. I think Malcolm would be really pissed off, but I think we're going to be okay. Malcolm <laughs> <Maybe. laughs> would be really pissed. But anyway, he'd be really mad at the, at the state of our culture with all the millionaires that we have. But anyway, yeah. that's a, that's a yeah. story for another day because if I go down that rabbit hole, I might not come yes. back out for a while. We can, talk, we can talk about that next time. Yes, <laughs> next time you come back on the show, what you got your LSAT pass, we'll go celebrate that and talk yeah. about that. But for real, it's just, it's a lot. Anyway, all right. So <laughs> with that being said, please let the people know what you got going on. Tell them where we're at. And thank you again for being on my show. Um, thank you for having me. Well, I wanted to... Um, I wanted to back up and say the mission of the Philippinal Foundation is to raise public consciousness and bring awareness to prevent senseless acts of violence in America. And our vision is to create initiatives that educate, empower, and unify underserved communities, fostering an environment for equality and justice. Mm -hmm. So I'm working, um, both my mom and I were working on building the Philippinal Foundation and collaborating with... um, other organizations, particularly the BLM um, movements, because mm-hmm. they've been popping up all throughout, you know, New York, New Jersey. Tina, the Tina chapter just opened. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Love so that. I'm excited about that, you know, and collaborating with persons like yourself, you and mm-hmm. I, and um, some other organizations we've been meeting and mobilizing mm-hmm. as well. So I, 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 I'm looking forward to continue, continuing that, you know, and, and building, you know, just building. Good, good, good. Where can they find you if they want to find you? Oh, my, my social media platforms is either mm-hmm. Natasha Pinnell. Most of my pages are privates because I do private because I get a little like different messages <laughs> from people because, <laughs> you know, it's like there are agents out there. So we have agents? to be mindful and conscious. And of there's the pervs. Yeah, and pervs and things like that. Yeah. So. My social media page is either Natasha Pinnell, but my, my uh, public pages is the Philip Pinnell Foundation yes. uh, on Instagram and the Natasha No Show on Instagram. Yes. And then... Um, what time does that come Facebook, on? The, the Natasha No Show, it airs every uh, Wednesday at 1 p.m. on IG Live. 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yes, Eastern Standard. And I was in a studio and because of COVID and right before I wasn't in the studio. So I'm looking to go back into the studio. Nice. Because um, it's just like a, a better feel, you know, yeah. to have your guests like face to face and, you know, you're mm-hmm. sitting on a stage and, you know. <laughs> this right here has been cool thing. for me because I get to yeah. record this. But yeah. hey, some days it's like it's hard to connect with people if I'm not there. Then That's I'm like true. just on the camera like, okay. I know. You talk Like me. I, I I was like what a few minutes late, so it's yeah. like yeah, you're banking on the fact that are they going to show up? Like hello, I told them five, <laughs> you know, I told them five o'clock, but they're not on. Man, so that's why it's, that that's too. why it's a podcast and not a live show because I couldn't yeah. do it. I would be flipping out. Like what? Yeah, I, I, why I, are you I, late? 
It's not okay. Who said that was all right? But then we stop. I can't do it. I can't be bugged. I can't, I can't lose my shit on people no more. So Yes, so on Facebook is in memory of Philip. Okay. Um, that's my brother's page. But on Instagram, it's different. The Philip, the Philip Pinnell Foundation. Yes. Good, 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 good. Yeah. We're going to get a Philip Pinnell barbecue celebration next year. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. I'm oh, on down I, the- that reminded me. I'm glad you said that. On April, um, October 3rd, which would have been uh, the second annual commemoration of life, we're having the Tree of Healing Memorial in Tryon Park, which is 1608. Um, and be, it's really called Bernard E. Brooks Park. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people like uh, from the area, like ourselves, know, know the park to be Tryon Park. It's Tryon Park. Um, yeah. But it was rescheduled <laughs> from April 10th because of the COVID. So it's going to okay. be October 3rd at 3 p.m. October 3rd, 3 p.m. Lock that it's in, people. Yeah. Again, thank you, Natasha, for coming on my show. Thank All right. you for having me. You've been putting up with my weird behind, but thank you. I really appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. Weird. And we you're, are here. You're an enigma. You're enigma. An enigma. That's all. I'm right, right. New word. Enigma. Okay. That's yeah. what you guys understand. Um, <laughs> it's been amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much for, for being honest and open and telling your story. I know thank it took you. a lot for you to do because I know I, I probably went back there and brought up some old things. I'm sorry if I did. Yeah, no, you didn't. I want you to understand that in order for people to see you and to believe in you, they, they whoa, hello? You still yeah, there? Hello. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Someone, I was getting a call. I'm sorry. I need <laughs> to put it on airplane mode. Yeah, I know. I don't. I, I don't get calls up. Like, oh, like oops. Sorry, but anyway, no, I, I, it, it's good to see because people, in order for people to, to believe in you, they need to know you. Right. And if they don't feel like they know you, they can't believe in you. So yes. I'm very thankful for you being on my show. And guys, please go follow all this stuff, man. And um, I'll see you guys next week. Thank you, guys. The numbers have been really good, and I really appreciate all you guys. I know, I know. I'm yeah. I'm working on other things. New things are on the move. Stay tuned. That's all I'm gonna say. All and right? I would love to do a photo shoot with you too. Oh, oh yeah, we're gonna do a photo yeah. shoot. I'm gonna hire you. Yeah. Yes, it's gonna be awesome. I believe in networking. Networking is key. Networking is key, and we gotta do like an actual photo shoot. Yeah. Like Natasha Empowerment photo shoot. That's what we're going to do. I'm with it. I'm with okay. it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, y'all. Peace.